Dotnet Rocks, episode 1095, with guest Phil Japixi. Recorded Thursday, January 29th, 2015. What's up, Mr. Campbell? I am, you know, doing the thing with the stuff. I got some stuff here myself, about two and a half feet of it. It's called snow. <laughs> of course you do. That <laughs> was snowpocalypse for you anyway. And it's not going to melt for at least a couple of weeks. Oh, so it stays cold, uh, huh? it's good. Yeah, at least it's light and fluffy, you know, and you can drive around. But man, it's piled up. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's what doesn't happen here. Here yeah. it's snow. It'll snow in the morning. It'll rain in the afternoon. It'll freeze overnight. And you get all those great videos of cars sliding sideways down the street. What's awesome about living in New England is that it actually is rain when it's coming up the coast, right? The Gulf right. Stream brings rain, and then the Arctic blast comes down from the northwest. And you can, when you look at the radar, there's a sheet of white that extends about a couple of miles off the coast, right? And yeah, that's where the rain turns to snow. <laughs> and, then it, and then it comes to visit you. And then it just hangs out and dumps all over us. Yeah. Oh, man. Crazy. But anyway, we had fun. Uh, we, you know, made donuts and stuff. Hey, I got something really cool for you. Oh. For Better Know Framework. Well, hit me then. All right. Tell me all about it. So, you know, we're loving these little brick computers that... Uh, these I little, loves my Nux. The Nux. All right. So, the Gigabyte has one called the Bricks. The Bricks. B-R-I-X. And they have a gaming ultra-compact PC kit. Cheapest price I've found is $853 at wow. nothingbutsavings.com. Let me tell you about it. Uh, the latest Intel fourth-generation core processors, i7, 4710HQ. Has uh, supports discrete graphics card NVIDIA G GeForce GTX 760 GPU with Mini HDMI times two Mini DP output featuring triple displays. Wow! Supports two and a half hard drives, one six gig SATA three. A nice SSD drive will work in there. Uh, it's got an M SATA SSD slot. It's got two DDRL three slots. Those are the what are the two hundred four pin. Yeah, the, uh, the laptop ones. Yeah, right. And it's got Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, mini PCIe card, and uh, four USB 3 ports, gigabit LAN, headphone jack with a microphone, base mounting bracket. And the size, it's uh, 59.6 times 128 times 115.4 millimeters. Wow. Tiny. Tiny, tiny. Yeah, I wonder how that graphics card works, because you can't really run that off of the mini PCI slot. It must be on the motherboard. Yeah, it must be. Um, this uh, what what's cool about this? I know the Connect team has these, and they use them internally. It, so it's going to run Connect Two, no problem. And yeah, that sure. is really important to me and my customers who were not liking the two thousand dollar plus price tag for a desktop machine that could run Connect. Right. You know. So I mean a a Surface a Surface Pro One is a great machine for running Connect 2. Sure. But, uh, you know, those are expensive as well and hard to find. Well, and they're and they're, they're sort of fixed screen, too. Like, which you, you want this. The thing that I love about these little machines is they've got the Visa mounting brackets on them, so you literally mount them to the back of your monitor. Yeah, put them right on the monutor. It's but great. It's on the monitor. Yeah. 
That's right. <laughs> Guy's fine, dude. That's really interesting. And oh, an AMD as well, which is interesting. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Love it. Gigabyte Bricks. Uh, Gigabyte so, bricks. you want a URL? That'd be nice. Tinyurl.com slash Gigabyte PC. That'll bring you to Gigabyte's website. And if you want to go to nothingbutsavings.com, which is the cheapest place I could find one at 853 US, that's tinyurl.com slash NBSBricks, B-R-I-X. Cool. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1092, one we did very recently with Mr. Hollis, where we were talking about WPF, and that sparked a lot of conversation. Yeah. Um, in the Twitters as well as uh, on the website and so forth. Um, the, the, but the most commented or most liked up comment was one from Liam Burke, who said, Hi, guys. As with every show, this was another great one, but there was something special. Billy has an infectious enthusiasm, which makes me want to return to WPF. Yeah. I moved from a well-designed, although poorly architected, WPF app to a role working on a back-end financial services with a separate UI team. I was asked to test the UI for the service I was working on, and nothing happened. I was then told that our, quote, technology, that is, with AngularJS and so forth, was only supported on Chrome. Yeah. But I use Firefox. After inquiring why it doesn't even support IE, I was told that it was because, quote, everyone uses Chrome. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when they used to say that about IE6, so you didn't I, have to develop for anything else? <laughs> yeah. How do you think that happened? And then someday that's going to be a problem. Oh, You're, but everybody uses but Chrome. But everybody, yeah, everybody uses IE6. It depends on how you say it, right? Yeah. Everybody uses that. I mean, everybody. Oh, jeez. <laughs> everybody uses that. <laughs> But thankfully, this is an internal app that we control. But how can a company with external-facing sites justify alienating a large swath of users based on a whim? And this episode gives me renewed confidence that people are still taking WPF seriously, and I may go dark or rogue and do a WPF front end to show how beautiful it can be. Yeah, it's going to get more, more and more support from Microsoft, too. So this is... Yeah, uh, you go for it, Liam. Awesome. Yeah. Uh and yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. It was one of those comments from like, I love your support at WPF, but with those guys, you know, it's got to come down to one guy who just doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Liam, thank you so much for your comment. A Donut Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Donut Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at donutrocks.com or with any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, Android, and iOS. And it's time for Phil Japixi, an international speaker, Microsoft MVP, ASP Insider, MCSD, CSM, and CSP. So some serious uh, acronym soup there. And a passionate member of the developer community, Phil Japixi has been working with .NET since the first betas, deploying software for over 30 years, and heavily involved in the Agile community since 2005. Phil is the principal architect for Internology who you may have heard of before, Tim Huckabee's company there, helping an amazing team create high-impact software experiences. Phil serves as the lead director for the Cincinnati.net Users Group, that's C-I-N-N-U-G dot org, and the Cincinnati Software Architect Group. He co-hosts the Hallway Conversations podcast, which is at hallwayconversations.com, great URL, by the way, founded the Cincinnati Day of Agile, which is at dayofagile.org, and volunteers for the National Ski Patrol. 
Phil is a frequent speaker all over the world, from user groups and meetups to large-scale professional conferences. You can follow Phil on Twitter via twitter.com slash schemedic and read his blog at schemedic.com slash blog. Welcome, Phil. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Welcome back, I should say. You've been on a couple of times. Uh, yeah, way too long times. ago. Yeah, yeah, you were on the tablet show last time, I think, haven't wasn't it? Yeah, tablet show, and then we did a JavaScript thing, and then uh, we talked about BDD a long time ago, but uh, the most comments I got was the fact that we started down the road of Alice's Restaurant in the middle, (laughs) (laughs) and and that seemed to be everybody's favorite, you know? I was talking about people, I I mentioned testing, and they all moved away from me on the group W back. (laughs) Get. <laughs> yeah. Have you rehabilitated yourself? <laughs> and here we go again. Here we go. Mother, you to drop that and have that not happen. Mother, yeah, I know. Mother rapers and father stabbers and father rapers and mother stabbers. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, how would you like to be Arlo Guthrie and just try to go out to a diner for breakfast? How would you? I mean, oh come my on. Gosh. You know. They'd be like, hey, man, sing us a little, give us a little Alice's restaurant. And she's like, F you. <laughs> Go away. I want some eggs. They'd be like, hey, can you take those garbage? Because one big pile is better than two little piles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And rather than bring theirs up, we decided to throw ours down. Ours down, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're off the rails already. Yeah, off the rails already. So. WPF for WinForms, what what are you talking about here? What is that? You know, it's it's funny because we went through this phase where all the WPF developers were were pretty much embarrassed to mention that there were WPF developers and, and Microsoft was pushing Silverlight really hard. You know, my gosh, if you're writing line of business applications, you have to lead with Silverlight. You should only use WPF if you're writing something like Visual Studio. And we kept arguing that no, no, no. It's um it's a really good platform for lots of things. Mm-hmm. And then we, we all know what happened to Silverlight. Right. And then Microsoft stopped talking about WPF. And you know how the culture is, right? If they stop talking about WPF or any technology, must, then, hey, must it must be, be, dead. be dead. Must be dead. You know, so the, the big news that, that I really appreciate, and well, let me back up a little bit. At Interology, we do a crap ton Sorry, we do a lot of WPF and, and you know some some really amazing XAML things. I don't know if you watched uh, any of the election coverage on November fourth here in the U.S. on CNN. Mm-hmm. So Wolf Blitzer had this ginormous wall that he could touch a state and drill in and annotate yeah. and those types of things. Yeah, uh, we wrote that. That's and, awesome, and that's that's all XAML. Now, ironically, that's a that's a Windows Store app. It's sideloaded because of the DirectX issue, but not because of the XAML issue. Yeah. So, you know, we do a significant amount of WPF. Uh, we do a lot of mobile stuff, too. But WPF is, is alive and well, and I think people are starting to realizing that. Well, you know, it is Windows development. And it, right. You know, I mean, what else wind- are you going to use? Power right. Builder? Yeah. And- <laughs> All right. So, so WPF isn't dead, but what's WPF for WinForms? Uh, so... Uh, so WPF for WinForms is actually a talk that I give where I'm not actually showing how to do WinForms, but it's for the the people who were WinForm developers oh. or probably still are, and show them how to migrate. Right, because it's it's when you teach WPF or teach an XAML stack, 
whether it's you know Windows Phone or Windows 8 or WPF straight up. And if they're coming from a web background, you do a different style of teaching than if they're coming from a WinForms background. Right. Yeah. And because there's something about XAML is rather HTML-y, actually. Right. You know, at least it's all, you know, tags and stuff. But for a guy coming from the WinForms designer, if they, you know, you would think he'd just go directly to WPF designer. I mean, how is that going to go? Well, you know, they want to drag and drop. Yeah. and, And they're expecting a canvas. And I put this button here. And, oh, look, with the Visual Studio Designer, I drag this button, and it stays right where I put it. Uh, but then they look at the XAML that's generated, and it's got a margin of 1,176.987 <laughs> on mm. one side and 12 on the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a, I have a grid, but it's now it's, it's row span 7 because the grids all have, you know, zero height in the rows. And it's yep. just a big mess. And it's it's really, you know, I spend a lot of time just talking about layout with WinForm developers just to get them over that hurdle because it it's shock and awe for them. If you're coming from the web background, you already understand the layout, right? You, We don't have float, thank the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we use essentially the, the equivalent of tables, but they're dynamic and things like that. Or, you know, with the HTML5, the, the MS grid type stuff. So I can pretty quickly get through the whole layout paradigm and get get into the meat of how do you write a smart client app as opposed to the web. I tend to like stack panels before I use grids. Grids get me in trouble. Well, you got to use all of them, right? And that's that's one of the things that, especially if you're coming from WinForms, you're like, really? I have to nest like five of these controls right. to make a dialog box? Yeah, and you're used to that being painful in terms of performance, but it's not in WPF. Right. I like you grids know, it, when I like grids when uh, you need auto sizing columns based on percentages. That's a really good feature of a grid. Well, you know what a grid is great for? It's it's great for a data entry form. Yeah. Right. If you're writing straight up line of business app, and we've all been through this on the WinForm side and even on the web side, right? Where I've got all my labels on the left and all my text boxes on the right. And how much time do we spend, you know, hitting the uh, the mouse button and uh, clicking the arrows so we get that real fine grain attachment in WinForms to get them all lined up perfectly? And then the problem comes in, hey, you know what? We need to uh, localize this. So yeah. let's change it to Spanish. And, uh, you know, our first name field or, or, you know, some text label that we have is very short in English and is 27 words in Spanish. Right. And, and now it's unreadable because everything is, is fixed in place. So, so grids are great for that because with the auto sizing, uh, they can expand. You know, the other thing that the grid fixes for us very much is, um, I had, uh, I think he's been on your show too, but well, Walt Richer came on my podcast and we were talking about it and he had a great term for it. I never had a term for it, but the postage stamp syndrome. Yeah. Where I've got, you know, my WinForms. I can't tell you how many times this happened to me. I'd spent all this time doing the layout on my WinForms app. And then somebody with a much bigger monitor would get it and maximize it. Yeah. And all my controls would be in the top left corner and the rest of the the window was Battleship Gray. Right. Yep. You know, and, and with WPF using the flexible flow layout, those issues go away, can go away, right? We have to really break out of that mindset of using a canvas and drag drop and, and be done with it. I have a great approach to that, which is to lay it out at one, per, you know, at a 
at a decent resolution, you know, like uh, something that everybody can see, like 1280 by 1024, something like that. And then wrap the whole page, the whole window in a resizable uh, UI. So as you resize the the form, it just resizes. Everything does. Just scale yep. it. Yep. Yeah. And then you run into the issue, which we discovered fairly recently, uh, especially on the surface, where it defaults to 125% for those yep. of us that are old and need glasses. <laughs> uh, when you do a layout with 100%, uh, WPF, which is supposed to be all measured in device-independent units, and that was, you know, beat the chest and, hey, it's perfect on any resolution at any size. Well, it turns out it's not so perfect. Yeah. When you start messing with the 125% or 150%, then this layout that you spent all this time on is still going to be problematic. Well, I remember we had a gadget in WinForms that allow us to expand the controls if somebody did expand the window, although most of the time all I did was lock the window. It was um, a video soft component, wasn't it? Something yeah. like that. It but was it, it was a fur pay component that we used it, yeah. yeah. And generally it didn't go well, I found. <laughs> you, you can't just make stuff shrink and grow. Yeah. No, and the other big change, especially for WinForms developers, I mean, we're so used to the two paradigms that you really need to get rid of in WPF world. Uh, the first is having this intense menu system. Right. You know, we've we we live and dry I'm sure you guys remember, maybe even suffered through it. When they changed the menus in Excel, yep, right with whichever version that was, I think it was the same time they they brought in the ribbon bar, which is like the bane of humanity. It was for a while, <laughs> but they they changed it. And for those of us, and I can just imagine all the accountants and the collective groan. It was like a hundred million souls just groaned at the same time mm. um, on Alderan. <laughs> they. <laughs> <laughs> They oh. they changed the menus to make it better for people who were new to Excel. But those of us that had memorized all the key cords, we kept deleting documents and charging people too much money or not enough money because we were doing things that we didn't know we were doing. Mm. And and you get you know stuck on those menus. Uh, but really, with WPF, we don't really want to have a menu paradigm. We want to have a much more visual paradigm. We right. want to really move towards what what we like to refer to as a natural user interface. I know Tim has been on your show a bunch of times yeah. and has talked about this a lot, so I I don't want to take away from his thunder. He's certainly better at it than I am. But yeah. even from a line of business developer, I mean, some of the stuff that we write, I mean, if you think of the CNN Magic Wall app, uh, we've got a kiosk that sits in a Smithsonian where you can pretend to configure a, a lunar lander, and that's all written in WPF. Yeah, um, Those are very not line of business things, and they're very cool, and they're exciting, and you know, the touchless operating room that is written in WPF using Connect. Those are all awesome things. But but I'm a line of business developer, and I go, you know, that's awesome. But what am I supposed to do? Right. And and still in WPF, you can do those natural user interface things. Animations are so easy to do. And, you know, not that you should have a flaming arrow shooting across the screen. That's I don't not... know if you guys remember that old IBM commercial, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the flaming logo. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, the flaming logo. Ooh, can um, I log in? But, but uh, even sorry, yeah. <laughs> but but even with um, validations, and and the validation framework is so good in WPF, and he completely missed the mark in Windows Eight, and we can talk about that. Um, but validations, you know, you, you put a style in there so that if they put in something wrong, and you use I data error info or I notify data error info, the control will turn red. But the problem is it turns red suddenly. 
right? It slaps the user upside the head and says, hey, you're an idiot. <laughs> what we really want to do is still have that custom style to indicate where their problem is, but we need to give them a tooltip so they know what the problem is as opposed to just saying, hey, you're an idiot, and I'm not going to tell you why. Um, but if we animate that in just over a half second, right, it's a much gentler, eh, you know, you're kind of an idiot. You should probably <laughs> fix this. <laughs> only and kind of an idiot. Yeah. Only kind of an idiot, right? You know, it's, it's a gentler, kindler world. It's a timeout instead of a spanking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, still f I'm still wondering what happened with that disturbance in the force from five minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, well, anytime you do such a big paradigm shift for something that's used by so many people, you know. Um, but speaking of Alderaan, you've seen the the weather forecast for Alderaan, right? Okay. 78 degrees, 78 degrees, 78 degrees, 4,000 Kelvin. <laughs> <laughs> that's the weekly. Yeah, totally off topic. So, sorry. Squirrel. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um, you know, and we do the same thing with... I, can I get... Can I interject something yeah, here sorry it's you know show. you were talking about menus and i th i see menus as an artifact of when we had like screen space was limited and we had one area main viewing area and we wanted to just you know put stuff in and change it and swap out and all that stuff and then the mdi interface where menus actually pull up new windows and stuff but totally non-contextual right like there's so much stuff that you can't use on a menu when it's there that doesn't matter. That is just noise. And so I, I see them as an artifact of an old constraint system that we had. When you were in WPF, you can easily switch from view to view to view to view to view, back and forth, no problem, in any kind of, with any kind of animation, as you say. Um, and therefore, you can drive it like a car, process-oriented. You start on the, the login page, you move to another page that sort of gives you an overview of what you can do. You pick something to do, you move to the next page, you're done with that, you move back, you, you pick the next thing that you want to do. It's, it's really, f it flows nicely, just like the work that you want to do. Yep, absolutely. And, and the biggest problem with menus, I have fat fingers. Yeah, not touch-friendly. I'm, I'm on a Surface, all day long I have a Surface Pro 2 and a Pro 3. I've got touch monitors for my my ThinkPad, and I don't know if you've tried to use Outlook on a Surface with fat fingers and not having a mouse. It's brutal. It's brutal. And, and you're right. It's not intuitive. You know, one of the things that we really try and do is, is look at interaction design when we design these applications. And it's, it's how does a human interact with the device? So, yeah, we can be conditioned to learn how to use a menu, but if I see, well, here's a perfect example. I, I run the, the local user group, Synog, as you mentioned in my bio, which for reading, I guess is way too long. I should shorten that uh, for reading aloud. But they have a coffee machine there, and it's really fancy, and it's got a touchscreen. And it said it was coffee, tea, or hot water were the three options on a touchscreen. And it had a box to the left of each of the words. Right. And so I'm walking up, and I'm pushing the box. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a checkbox. I'm touching the box. I'm, touch I'm touching it harder. I'm touching it faster. I'm like wiping my fingers to get the sweat off. And the admin comes up and says, no, you have to hit the word. I'm like, well, why would I do that? Right. You gave me a button to push. I'm trying to push the button. No, you have to hit the word. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, then get the damn box off the screen. Yep. You know, and and, and it was just a terrible design. I mean, we all know, you know when we we see bad design. Um, you know, it's the door that should be a a push, but it's a pool when you right. walk right into it. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. As I told Billy Hollis, it's the in the bathroom, the the paper towel dispenser right over the toilet. Guess where all the water drips? Yeah. Onto the toilet seat. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, you're sounding like Billy Hollis for a minute there, but I guess there's no way to get away from that when you start talking about WPF. You have to make decisions about design. I, I'm i wondering, you know, the, it wasn't so much that WinForms only had one way to do things. It's that we had very strict guidance. Yeah, we had a document that was uh, brutal to read, but it was, this is how thou shalt program. And, you know, I think a lot of programmers like that. They like to be told exactly how to do what they need to do. WPF sort of gives you options, which is kind of scary, isn't it? Isn't, yeah, there's another phrase for that. Leaves you hanging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's you're absolutely right. And what, so what we all did, and I'm certainly guilty of this too, is said, well, we don't have guidance. So what is our guidance? Oh, let's look at Office. And we'll build things like office build them. So when the ribbon bar came out, even though there was much wailing and gnashing of teeth, we all put ribbon bars in our apps, right? Because that was the way to do it. And at least we're being consistent with office, even though it wasn't a good design. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and we didn't at first because they wouldn't let us too. Right. I mean, that, that was a whole other thing. But uh, I get I get what you're saying, right? It's And, and well, then they, when they finally did release design guidance, they released it for Metro. And yes. that just didn't matter. Right. And people, people, you know, I'm, oh, I'm not using that. So, oh, well. So is there still really no design guidance for WPF? Um, Not really. No. You know, I one of the things, in, and I should have listened to Billy's show, because actually many, many years ago, I was at VS Live, and, and Billy was doing it when WPF first came out. And he's like, you know, I, I did one of his whole day workshops on WPF, and I was blown away. And yeah. he has done so much in the realm of design and, and really pioneering that stuff. I mean, he's obviously just, you know, a legacy in 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 the UI space. Um, so my unfortunately, my design guidelines for me personally. Now, now we've got interaction designers that we employed in Internology, and so they do all the ideation and come up with how this thing should look. Um, my design guidelines is: I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> I, just don't suck That'd well and you're not alone there either too right like how many web developers punt on design bootstrap yeah and they you all know? look like the default bootstrap they all look yeah. like bootstrap and, and i mean the plus to that is um when a designer comes along they know what they can and can't do bootstrap gives them a framework to work within like i just wonder if we just don't need a few you know where is our north wind for WPF, just so that we have something to work from. Mm. Well, the problem is if if Microsoft came out with it, and maybe not now, but in the early days, the only difference between the WinForms version and the WPF version would have would be that it was Battleship White instead of Battleship Gray. <laughs> you know, we'd still have menus, we'd still have all the boxes and everything else. You know, and one of the things, Carl, that, that you said is, is so profound. Uh, it, well, everything you say is profound. It's you're um, awesome. Really? But yeah. <laughs> but if you think about how people use apps these days, and whether it's it's touch or whether it's mouse and keyboard, you know, if I have a tree view 
of employees, mm-hmm. and I want to get into the employee detail, I should be able to just tap the employee name and have it load something up, you know, with a nice gentle animation that brings me to the details. And right. if I'm done, I should be able to just say, okay, I'm done, and it goes away, and I come back to the list. Right. You know, I, I shouldn't have to, well, how do you right-click when you're touching? Oh, I have to hold it. Oh, yeah. shoot, I held it too long. Now it's deleted. How do I undo? I can't find Control-Z because there's no keyboard. You know, all those things that we just have to purge from our mind. And that's, you know, I do a lot of WPF classes for our customers. And and those are some of the hardest things to get people to move away from. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and I think part of this, and I think it was it was big way back when, was... Let me use WPF, but I want to make my Battleship Gray app with it, right? And you know, wait, I can't do mul- I can't do multiple document interfaces anymore. Oh my gosh, what are my customers going to do? Yeah, that's that's my whole world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, and because it, it's not just the dev flipping out; it's the customer. Yeah, they knew where everything was, and now they don't. Yeah, yeah. I I did this humongous WinForm app. It was um. It was a payroll app. And, and before you say, oh, my gosh, why did you write a payroll app? It was for long-term care, nursing home industry. And there's so much information that goes into payroll that also has to go into regulatory concerns, right? How many right. nurses did you have on the floor at what time? And it's all in the time clock. So a long-time customer of mine, they said, you know, build a payroll app. And, of course, I, I met with everybody but the people I should have met with, which is the actual people running the payroll and you know, did the accountants and everything else, and did this really nice design and, and test driven. This was really early in in the WinForm days and the .NET days. And I go show it to uh, the the people who are going to be using it, and they had been using an old green screen for this, so no mouse, right? It's all tab order. And I hit tab five times. I typed a name. I hit tab three more times, and they had this thing memorized. And I did the cardinal sin that as developers, we always forgot. I forgot to check the tab order on the forms. Right. Mm. So they're hitting the tab key and they're bouncing around like a video game, <laughs> you know, like Pong. <laughs> and they're like, this is unusable. I'm like, well, just use the mouse. I don't even have a mouse on my computer. Well, yes, you do. It's that thing sitting right there. Oh, that's a mouse. hey hey richard yeah buddy you know what time it is uh must be that happy time again you got it buddy it's time to install and run the vader's raiders desktop winforms app from a (laughs) cd-rom go to file new death ray enter the coordinates to alderaan in the text boxes hit the apply button Right-click on the word fire and select fire now from the pop-up menu. Then click the yes button on the are you sure input box. <laughs> I think I wrote that app. <laughs> are you really, really sure? <laughs> your your app is about to create a disturbance of the force. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, my God. It's actually time to give away a Component 1 Studio Enterprise collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Component 1's .NET controls for professional developers. Whether you're building the most modern, touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component 1's flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Well, today's winner is Olav Andre Rognan. Ah, congratulations, Olaf. At least I think. Clap a clap for you. I hope. 
Hope what? I hope that's his name or her name. And uh, Olav Andre just won Component One Studio Enterprise from Component One. It's a big pile of awesome. If you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .net rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. Phil. Yep, I've already got it figured out. What, do you, <laughs> what, what, what are you going to buy? And it, it's kind of boring, but I would get a – so I just recently got a Surface Pro 3. I yes. had a Pro 2 for a while, and yep, yep, yep. even though it's only like, I don't know, a millimeter bigger, it's amazingly different. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would outfit my family with Pro 3s, so that would be an additional four. And I would get a really ginormous TV that's internet enabled, you know, one of those smart TV things. Yeah. And um, move my office into the TV room. Oh, okay. So kind of boring, but. Not necessarily. And Samsung makes this 78-inch 4K uh, curved display, but it will blow your budget. Ooh. It's like six grand. Ooh. Yeah, I think if I got that, I'd look like the the one scene from Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more in terms of like when they open the the Ark in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. It will melt your face. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're awful tan on half your body. <laughs> oh, I was watching the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's what do you think is the main reason people don't move to WPF from WinForms? Is it that they don't care? Their apps run just fine? No problem? They think they'd be pressured if Microsoft were to say uh, WinForms is uh, not being supported in Windows 10? You know, is it going to take something like that? Well, I, I think part of it is fear, right? Because it's change. And, and, you know, people who are doing WinForms and are still doing WinForms are doing WinForms because their job has them locked into it or they're comfortable. Because WinForms works, right? I mean, it's done. It works for what it is. It Their apps work. True. Yeah. Um, horses and buggies worked too. No, no. I'm saying this is what people <laughs> will, this is what people tell me, right? My stuff works. We don't care. You know, it's. Well, that's true. If, we they inst- asked, if they yeah. asked Henry Ford what, what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. They never would have said a car. Right. And, and I, I, it's not. I think there's a couple factors involved. And I think Microsoft's silence on it has been a big one. Uh, but the one thing to that, that really shocked me in a good way was during the Connect, the online event. Um, on November 12th, 11th and 12th or 12th and 13th. I don't remember what it was, but there was this little ripple in the force that I think is just going to grow. They put a blog post out the roadmap for WPF. And the blog post is, eh, it's okay. Right. It's just talking about things that we would expect them to be working on performance, direct X and stuff like that. To me, the big news is I can point to customers and say, see, Microsoft still cares about WPF. They just released a blog post about what they're going to work on. Now they have to work on it, right? It's no longer this skunk works thing where people are hiding in the background, you know, doing 
Oh, I'm a WPF developer. No, I, I love Ajax. Oh, wait, that's old, too. Um, <laughs> I like um, what's it, uh, HTML7. I don't know what the term is and, and start freaking out. So I, I think, you know, there's a, a, additionally to that. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm stuttering a little bit there because I'm trying to get my thoughts around this because it's really an exciting time for WPF and people don't realize it yet. So I realize it. I'm super stoked about everything coming down the pipe. Uh, XAML is baked into the operating system now in Windows 8 and Windows 10. I mean, one of the concerns I would have, and I certainly run into this, because it's high DPI monitors, right? My little Samsung with the 13 in the Samsung laptop with the 13 inch display that's 3200 by 1800. And some WinForm apps work and some don't, or they do half and half, right? The font scale, but the icons are still the original size and they're microscopic. Right. You know, and, and uh, certainly the, the, running straight off DPI instead of device independent units and not being able to use DirectX and using GDI plus. Right. I mean, the list is pretty long and distinguished, but you know, for the line of the business developers out there, I'm just going to say one thing. Well, I guess it's two words, but one topic data binding. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just works in WPF. And how many times did you have to, you know, you're building a master detail form in WinForms and you've got a combo box. And you have to somehow trigger the detail to change based on the value of the combo box. Well, you have to code the selected index changed, the selected item changed, the um, drop down. Because if I hit it with the keyboard, it triggers a different event than if I hit it with the mouse. You know, there's all these different things. And we did all, we spent so much time doing defensive programming that we didn't really move the apps forward. You know, a perfect example of that is, is the command pattern in WPF. Every single win form I had in the code behind, I had a method called enable disable controls. Right. And based on the state of the app, I would turn on or off controls. So, for example, you've got data access form and you have a save button and a cancel button. And you've got, you know, somebody comes into work at 9 a.m. and they open up a record for editing and then they go to get a coffee and they get stuck talking to somebody. Now it's time for a meeting. And they get back from that. Now it's time to go to lunch. Mm. Uh, they go through all the stuff and they get back to their desk at five o'clock and they look at their screen and they go, huh, did I make any changes to that? So they go to click the save button. And as developers, we know, well, we're not going to call the database if the record hasn't changed. So we're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And the user's going, well, I don't think it's saved. Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my work. So they double click it and they go, well, it's all touched now. So maybe I have to click really hard. And eventually they just call support because they don't want to lose their data, even though they didn't change anything. Right. Yeah. So we'd write these methods that would, you know, turn off the save button if it wasn't dirty and, you know, change the cancel or the close to cancel and all these types of things. And then invariably one thing would happen where you, somebody says, we need a context menu, even though context menus are evil. Um, and so you right click. Save menu is there, your save options and context menu, and you forgot to include that in the enable disable control. So now I have a disabled save button, but an enabled context button. The, I mean, these are typical problems you've fought every day in WinForms. Sure. And they just they just don't exist in WPF. That's true, they don't. Uh, you can bind the is enabled uh property of one control to the is enabled property of another control. And so you just disable one, they all disable. Right. And and certainly with the command pattern, with the can execute, you can pass in your model. And if you if you're using Entity Framework, 
or something like that where you've um, got an is dirty property. Yep. And you can say, well, if not is dirty, then can execute returns false. And it just turns off the buttons automatically. We don't have to write that code. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot of compelling reasons here, but it is very disruptive to the way you're used to developing. I remember a great blog post from Rocky Laka who said, I, I had to go back and work on a WinForms app for the first time in years and years, and I had forgotten how productive I was. Like, there's a lot more fiddling and fussing to get your WPF app right. Yes, that's true. From I'll agree with that from a layout perspective. Okay. Yeah, and also absolutely, and but also the plumbing—it's totally different. And also, I think that uh, as we said in Billy's show, once you get your styles and your your layout and your animation classes and your navigation stuff all working, you know that's pretty much like a boilerplate for customization. That uh, you have all that stuff that once you've done it once and can reuse it. Right, but it takes time to ramp up, right? And and that's I think that's another big fear for people to switch is they they're really good at WinForms or they're really good at WebForms or they're really good at X, you know, Power Builder, VB6, whatever they're using. And they got to start over, right? This right. isn't a, oh, I have to learn a few more classes and a little different way of data binding. I have to completely learn, like I'm fresh out of school and I've never written software in my life, how to do a lot of stuff in WPF. But why is it though that, um, you know, C++ developers who had never done iOS programming before are perfectly willing to learn how to do, uh, you know, Objective-C, obviously, because there's bazillions of apps out there that are written in Objective-C. Yeah, they're willing to learn it because of the carrot dangling at, at the other end. I, I, I've never met anybody who said they liked Objective-C. Right. So <laughs> is it that WPF doesn't have a big enough carrot? I don't think it does because what we're talking about here is, you know, for a lot of people, and, and I would guess a lot of listeners to to your podcast, we're talking about line of business apps. And if I can get the job done with WinForms, and it's not perfect, it's not pretty, but I know what all the faults are. Right. Then why would I switch to spend six months learning something new to get back to where I was two years ago in understanding a technology. Yeah, so that's where I think I think the problem lies in incentives. I don't think it lies in WPF being too difficult or anything. Because look, the stuff that people learn when they want to learn it can be pretty tough. Look at the freaking web, man. Look at JavaScript and CSS and HTML. Right. That's pretty complex stuff. I mean, WPF is wonderful compared to all that stuff. And yet, it's, a, it's an incentive issue. Now, well, if you have if you have all of a sudden an explosion in uh, in Windows desktop apps, then then it's going to uh, pick up. Well, but they're not personally getting any financial gain from switching, right? The people who are learning iOS Objective C, they're they're hoping to hit the app lottery, right? Right. Uh, you know the. I liken it to so you guys know that I'm an agile guy and I've done test-driven development and behavior-driven development for a long time. In fact, we recorded a great show on it a couple years ago. But when I teach TDD, people look at me going, this is going to add time to my development process. And initially it will. It will slow you down in the short term. But the long play is you're going to be a much more productive developer. And I've always had the philosophy of I will work my butt off in the short term so I can be lazy in the long term. Right. 
And learning WPF helps you do that because once you, just like you said, Carl, once you understand the layouts, once you understand animations and you kind of have this bag of tricks that you know works for your market, whatever it is, right? Whether it's a kiosk, whether it's CNN, you know, Disney or whoever, or just the people in billing, you've got your bag of tricks and now you're much more productive because so many things work so much better in WPF than you did in WinForms. Right. But you're going to have to make that investment. Is is MVVM the cornerstone here? Like, if there's anything you need to get your head around, it's this is what MVVM is about and why WPF rocks in it? Well, so MVVM certainly is the generally accepted pattern. Right. Um, there's There's still quite some discussion about you know, the implementation details and people getting in, in big old purse fights at conferences over which implementation detail is better. But at the end of the day, MVVM is a design pattern. And the implementation details should be specific to your business need. Uh, MVVM certainly makes you a lot more productive. It it really helps you write solid, as in Uncle Bob, solid code. Uh, it's not going to help you at all with layout and user interaction and interaction design. I mean, that's something you're still going to have to learn. But yeah, if you're doing a significant WPF app, I think you should really understand the MVVM pattern. And and ha- what's significant? Like, obviously, I don't have to know MVVM to do something in WPF, but at what point am I crossing a line? I, I think you're asking the wrong person because I, I try not to write any code without unit tests, and I try not to write any WPF without using at least a view model. Well, I can tell you. There's, um, if you find yourself having a lot of user controls that you swap in and out in a main window, you know, that's a lot of views. And then you end up doing code behind in the user controls. And, uh, those are things that could go in a view model for that user control. Um, you might find that it's easier to manage if that code behind code gets kind of sticky and there's a lot of it. Then, uh, in in that way, the the view model is more pure and uh, has n- has no UI code in it, and the the user control has no implementation code in it. So you can do it with without MVVM. Absolutely, you can, and you can use the same sort of um, separation of concerns, but n- not to the extent. Not to the same extent than creating one more layer of abstraction. Right. Carl, I think that's a great way of looking at it. If if you find yourself writing a bunch of code in the code behind, I think you need to put on the brakes and, and rethink how you're designing your app. Yeah. You know, if I'm just doing a, a prototype, see, I hate the word prototype because so many times prototypes turn into production systems. Hey, that looks great. Throw it out there in production. Wait, it's a spike. That's why it's why in the agile community we call it spikes now, right? Because prototypes really just meant alpha for businesses. Uh, but if you find yourself writing a whole bunch of code in the code behind, I mean, it's the same thing with web forms, right? You certainly can write code in the code behind, but everybody hates it because you can't test it, right? And then that, that's the thing, right? This is about keeping your code away from your UI in a way that allows it to be testable, it allows it to scale, and it allows you to not repeat yourself, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I've long said if you if you write something once, you should think about making it a function. If you write the same thing twice, you have to make it a function. If you write the exact same thing three times, I would like you to stop being a programmer. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop it. 
Yeah, <laughs> become a tester or a BA or something, but but please stop repeating yourself. That's funny. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. But and I yeah, part of me still wonders if we're ever going to get to a place where you could have a designer that would be equivalent to that WimForms designer, but I just don't know that it's possible. Yeah, I don't know that I want it. I mean, I I'm spent with you, so Phil. much time just in XAML. Uh, the raw XAML because IntelliSense has gotten so good and with, with tools like ReSharper that really just help the process, I I might flip over to designer just to see what it looks like, but I do most of my coding in, in angle brackets. The problem with right. designers, Richard, I think, is that especially with something like this, and you find the same thing in a complex web app too, where you know, trying to design stuff in a table in a in a designer for a web app like the web forms table designer you find that you have so many layers and so many encapsulations that you can't do both at the same time. You can't have a visual representation and make it easy to select pieces of that to program against them. Right. Because they're just so close together. And yet somehow WinForms did it. We, well, we didn't have the same level of composition in yeah. WinForms that we have in, in a web table or in uh, XAML. I wonder if my fondness for WinForms is because I've stopped developing it so long ago. Yeah. So all I remember is the good bits. I've forgotten all the bad bits. Yeah. Right? It's, it's kind of like, like your first like, car. Or the love you have for an old 80s TV show. Heaven help you. If you watch it today, you know you'll be horrified. I think Phil really nailed it in the beginning of this topic where he talked about how the, the postage stamp problem, that's what WinForms has. It's It's absolute placement by pixel, you know? Right. And when you do that, it's great until you want to resize it and scale it and have things wrap around and, and, and morph. Yeah. And God forbid, if you want to put it on a phone where there's all bazillion different, you know, form factors and everything else. So because of that, you have to have more layers and you have to have a more complex visual tree. And when we talk about the control set that we've always used in WinForms, I mean, there's equivalence in WPF for everything, right? Right. And then there's a whole bunch of WPF-specific stuff that, for the most part, like the carousels and things, I think people come to the conclusion, you shouldn't do that. In Windows Forms? No, in, in WPF. In WPF. You know, remember the good old days in, in the early WinForms, like in VB3, when it was all about just how many controls can I get? Yeah. I'm going to buy some Sheridan and some of this and some of that and some of this and load them all at once and run my machine out of memory. Yeah. And now, you know, same sort of thing. You get into this new land with these new UI paradigms. You're trying to figure out, do I actually, is this actually a good way to represent data or control? Well, and that's much more of an art, right? When I think one of the reasons why we look back at WinForms fondly, a couple of things, right? There was only one way of doing things, and so there wasn't a whole lot of choices. Right. The other thing is, I'm not sure how much we as an industry was concerned with testing. Right. The way we tested it was we threw it out there and let users use it. I mean, Microsoft did that for years. Everybody knew you don't trust a Microsoft product until version three. Yeah. Right. Right. That's why Entity Framework went from two to four. Right. <laughs> well, and every app gets tested. It just gets tested with the users. Yeah. You know, the, the largest fr testing framework ever used has been production. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, put it out there and it's, you know, fix and find and fix and, and rinse and repeat. Uh, now that we're much more concerned about quality and really getting it right the first time, and we're spending time doing things like, you know, wireframes and, and drawings, you know, one of the processes we do at Internology is we've got designers who will sketch I mean, literally with a pencil and mm. a pad 
they'll sketch out the app and, and just, I mean, there's no technology investment. It's just time. And, uh, one guy that we just hired, he's awesome. He was talking to, we were talking to a customer and he was just doodling while we were talking. And then he showed us the drawings afterwards. It's like, holy crap, right? You don't need me anymore. <laughs> well, I'm out of here. I'm yeah, out of here. You know, because what when about I, something like uh, like Prism, for example? Well, I, Prism is awesome, but Prism is the elephant. Okay, right? it's got everything in there. And when people are starting with WPF and they're like, "Oh, you should learn Prism," you know, Brian Noyce is a great talk on Prism. Sure, but the problem is, where do I start? It's so big. It's like walking into. You know, a Sam's or a Costco because you need a gallon of milk, right? Where do I find it? It's so big. I just Um, want a gallon of milk. I just want a gallon of milk. And and there's certainly a lot of different pieces in Prism that that really greatly add. But I I think that's kind of the the 300, the the junior and college level involvement that you need to really graduate to that. You need to understand what WPF gives you out of the box, before you start adding tools. Same thing with MVVM, right? There's a whole bunch of MVVM frameworks out there. And when right. I teach MVVM, I don't teach a particular framework. I teach the pattern and the capabilities that WPF brings to the table to help support the MVVM pattern. And then I say, you know, live long and prosper. Go find the framework that best fits your needs. But you really need to- This is another part is like WinForms was always very much Microsoft-centric. And here you are, like you really, you really want an MVVM framework, don't you? <sighs> so I'm going to say yes, but with an asterisk because the code that I write. So I I've been using MVVM since before all these frameworks proliferated, right? And certainly before they matured. So the way I do MVVM is with a framework, yes, but it's really. Phil's code that he carries around and tweaks right. and, and makes better and not, you know, MVVM Lite or, you know, any of those frameworks that are out there. And I'm not knocking those frameworks. I think they're awesome, but you really have to look at what your particular needs are. I'm going to be an architect and say it depends. So, right. You know what I like about MVVM Lite is this, it is light. It's a, a base class for a, uh, for a view model, uh, you know, that has all the, uh, notify property change stuff built in there. Which you could write yourself, no problem. You could certainly implement commands, no problem. You know, the, in the I command pattern, uh, in the I command interface, rather. And, uh, you know, then, but then he's got this, um, this sort of messaging, almost actor mode thing, where you can communicate between layers. And, and that has always been the tricky part of MVVM, is, you know, how do I pass references around and get, uh, access to things sometimes you shouldn't, you know, you get these leaky references and things. Would you agree, right. Phil? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's um, very well thought out. The the certainly there's several patterns you could implement manually with communication, whether it's a event aggregator or a pub sub type thing. But the right. frameworks do do that for you. And you know, something I just discovered recently is I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but Fody. F-O-D-Y. Yeah, we talked it's, about uh, this in a better no framework, I think. Okay. it's a, So it's an open source, uh, basically, IL Weaver. And, and for listeners who don't know what that is, so when you do com- compilation, you got your source code, it becomes intermediate language. And what an IL Weaver does, like PostSharp is a really good commercial one, it will inject stuff into the emitted IL 
and the FODI has a um, implementation of property changed. So on my entity framework classes, I can add a partial class and I decorate it with implement property changed. And that's all I do. All wow. of the property change notifications done for me. And it works awesome. If I add in yeah. a um, an is changed field, a Boolean called is changed. Unfortunately, you can't change the name, but is changed. Then the is changed will be tied into their property changed event. So anytime a property changes, is change will be set to true. So you yeah. have your is dirty flag. And it's all handled with literally one attribute and uh, one automatic property. That's pretty nice. You know, but, but cool. the frame, frameworks add a lot more, right? And so I always tell people coming to my lectures, coming to uh, the classes I take, I teach, you got to understand what WPF brings to the table, and then you can pick the best framework for you. Yeah, no, that's that's a good good advice, man. Just an interesting way to think about the the whole problem, and and it feel like you want to sort of get in slowly. Like, don't look at a framework right off the bat. Do a little development first. Get to the place, and I think you said exactly this, where you're getting ready to build your own just to cut down the work, and then go look at the frameworks. I mean, Prism is way down the path. That's okay. I have a big WPF problem now, and and how do I architect for a much larger scale process? Sounds like a show, guys. I tend to agree. Phil. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Well, thanks for being here, and thanks for uh, sharing with us. Yep. Well, take care, guys. Thanks for having me. This has been great. You bet. And thanks for coming on. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a